0: We're studying the Gospel of Mark here in Sunday morning services, and uh, we're in uh, Chapter 12. We're in the last week of the life of Jesus, actually just a few days before He's to be, uh, or actually a couple of days before He's going to be betrayed and arrested and then crucified and then rise again, which we celebrated last Sunday, of course. Celebrate every Sunday. But, uh, but in this particular passage of Scripture, uh, in the 12th chapter, the different groups come to examine Jesus. It's interesting, this is the time of the week when the Passover lamb was also being examined because this uh, uh, all of the people would bring their Passover lamb to the priests and the priests would examine it because it had to be a spotless lamb, had to be a flawless lamb, and so it had to be examined very, very carefully. And if they found any kind of blemish on it, they'd say, No, this one won't do. And they'd have to go get another lamb from their flock or they'd have to buy one from somebody. And at, at the same time that the Passover lamb was being examined, Jesus is being examined. And the Pharisees came to Jesus. We read this read this in the early part of the 12th chapter. And they came asking him a political question, a religious political question. Is it right for us to pay taxes to uh, Caesar? And uh, and Jesus answered said, Give me a coin. Whose picture is on it? Caesar. Then he says, You give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give God what belongs to God. And so that silenced them. They didn't know what to say after that. And then the Sadducees came next. This was the liberal group they didn't believe in the resurrection they didn't believe in angels they didn't believe in demons and uh and uh, they didn't believe in, in heaven or hell. They they were very, very what we'd call extreme liberals. But they came to Jesus, and they came with a hypothetical question. Well, it was these seven brothers, and they were all married to the same woman, one after another, you know. And this one married her, and then he died. And then his second brother married her, and he died. Third brother married her, he died. They were all married to the same woman, I'd be wanting to know what she cooked for supper, you know, uh, if all seven of them died. Then it says, and then the the, the woman died. Whose wife will it be? Will, will, whose uh, husband will she have in the resurrection? And Jesus answered their question by saying, you know, you don't understand the Scripture. You don't understand the power of God. You don't understand the way God works things out. And so he silenced them. And so then chapter uh, Chapter 12, verse 26, 28, says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing uh, with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered all of them well, he said, I want to ask a question. And Jesus gave him permission to ask, and he said, Which commandment is the most important of all the commandments? Now, the the scribes and Pharisees and and the Sadducees, they differed on this question. The, uh, The Pharisees believed there were 613 commandments, and then they added to those commandments a lot of additional commandments that were kind of interpretations of those commandments, and there was a big debate in that day as to which commandment was the most important commandment. And the Sadducees had a different answer from the Pharisees. And so the scribe, this scribe, and a scribe was a, he was a uh, uh, kind of a, uh, he wasn't just somebody that wrote things down. He was a master of the Jewish law. And so he comes to Jesus, and he said, You know, I, I, I see you, you've answered the question for the Pharisees. You've answered the question for the Sadducees. Now I have a question. Here's my question. Of all the commandments in the Bible, which one is the most important commandment of all? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? Well, Jesus is going to tell us. And then Jesus answered, and he said, The most important is this. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, which the Jews call the Shema. The, way, the Hebrew word for hear is Shema. So the very first word is, said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But then Jesus thought, well, you know, it's hard to to, uh, know how to define or describe what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is from Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 18. And he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So, what's the, what, is the, what does God want from us more than anything else? If you had to just sum up all the commandments in the Bible and say, wh- wh- how do you express all that? Jesus said, now this is Jesus answering the question. He said, here's the answer. Love God. With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your energy, with all your strength. And you can't really do that unless you do the second commandment too, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. It always has amazed me that Christianity is looked at so negatively by so many people. Why is it that, why in the world would anybody be against a religion that the main emphasis of it is love? I mean, was it the Beatles that said, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Was that the Beatles? I can't remember. I think it might have been. And uh, so, so you'd think that any religion that says the most important thing in the world is to love, to love God and to love other people. You'd think that everybody would say, Wow, that's, that's good. But people don't say that about the Christian faith, do they? In fact, Jesus is condemned. Why, why, is, why is Christianity so hated by so many people? And why is Jesus... I mean, you know, you can go to uh, uh, almost anywhere, uh, and if, if they ask you to pray, they many times will say, just don't pray in Jesus' name. Yes. You can pray, but just keep it real general. Just Just say God, because nobody much is offended by God, but just don't say Jesus appreciate our city council and here in Glen Heights. They ask me about every three months to come and have the opening prayer at the city council meeting. And uh, they have never put any kind of restriction on me at all. And I, I usually preach. You know how preachers, when they don't have a chance to preach, they'll pray their sermon, you know. And so I'll, I'll pray my sermon, and and uh, and when I say amen... Many of the city council say, amen, amen. And I think that's, that's refreshing to have a city council. And then sometimes they'll contact me later in the week and say, man, I enjoyed, I appreciated your prayer last uh, last week at the city council meeting. And even the mayor has commented, you know, I, uh, I like it when you come and pray. And uh, I think I'm going to take an offering next time. But... Uh, but I but in many places lots of places you go to they don't uh, they don't have that that they do have a restriction they and I ask people what do you have against Jesus and usually they say things like well I just don't believe there's just one way to heaven you know he's so exclusive and he says you know you have to come through me and I said well but if there really is only one way, wouldn't it be wonderful to know that? But here's the thing Jesus did not primarily teach exclusivity. Exclu- yeah, I know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> that wasn't primarily what he taught. Primarily what he taught, even though it is true that he is the only way, primarily what he taught was that God's demand on our life is that we acknowledge that He is God, that He is the one and only God, and that we are to love Him. and That should not be hard to do, should it? I mean, He has been so good to us. He is good to us. and And it should be easy to love Him. But why do people not love Him? It's because... They love themselves and what they want and their own will more than they want to demonstrate their love to Him. So how are we to love Him? He says you're to love God with all of your heart, all your heart. That's what I told my wife when we were dating. I said, I love you with all my heart. And (laughs) she was not quite used to my southern accent, and she got tickled when I said it. And she said, You love me with all your heart. But I married her anyway. I said, You make fun of me l- trying to love you, but uh but uh the really bad part was that I leaned over to kiss her and we were sitting in a swing in the her, the dormitory and I closed my eyes and kept leaning, kept leaning, and I fell out of the swing. She <laughs> she'd moved out of the way. But uh I think she was testing whether I really loved her with all my heart, but I I did. uh, But God says, I want you to love me. I'm the Lord. I am the Lord, the only one, and I want you to love me with all of your heart. And that word heart is the word that means the core of our being, from the deepest part of us, that which is the, the essence of who we are. He said, I want you to love me from the very essence of who you are and with all of your soul. Now, the soul includes our, our, our mind. He's going to mention mind, but it includes our affections. It includes our, our will, those three things. So he said, "Love me with all your soul." I want and he mentions mind next uh, but, but the idea that that he wants us to think, he wants us to love him intelligently. Amen. He wants us to look at him and study and, and, and consider and think yes. and love him with all of our mind. Yes. So many people today just kind of they use their mind for all kinds of things, but they don't love God with their mind. You know what the word amuse means? We talk about going to an amusement park. We say, I want to be amused. The, The word muse means to think, to think, to use our mind. The ah in the front of it is the word that means... No, we're not. So, to be amused is to put ourselves in such a place where we're just having fun and we're not thinking. We're not thinking. So, an amusement park is where you go not to think, but you go just to play. And our world is being amused to death. We will spend hours watching stuff and participating in stuff and putting our mind in neutral and not thinking. The Bible says, God says, love me with all your mind. Consider Jesus. Think, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed. So how are you using your mind? Do you use your mind to love God? to think about who he is, to read the word, to think, to think, to think. And then he says, with all your strength, all your strength. To love God with all of our strength means to uh, uh, use our energy to love him with. Why Why should we love God so much? this last week you know if we're saved are you saved are you born again are you a Christian see if you're born again if you've been saved think about what you were saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ he poured out his life for you and for me That ought to make us love Him just because of the price that He paid for us. But then think about what we're saved from. We're saved from our sin, but we're also saved from hell. Now, you know, I'm going to preach a sermon before long just on hell because people don't talk about hell much anymore, do they? But I want to tell you, the, the person in the Bible that talked the most about hell was not the Apostle Paul. It was not James. It was not Peter. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gave more warning about hell than anybody else in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually talked more about hell than He did about heaven. That's interesting. Because... He says, It is not My will that any would perish but have everlasting life. He does not want people to go to hell. But I want to tell you, it's an awful, awful, awful place. And I have heard people say, Well, surely you don't think that a loving God would create a place where people were going to be in torment and flames forever and forever, do you? And I said, well, in the first place, the Bible says that God created hell for the devil and for his angels. But for those who cannot go into heaven because they've rejected the gracious gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they also are cast into the lake of fire. And it is uh, uh, it's just really not politically correct. They talk about hell, is it? People say, well, I, I just, you know, almost everybody believes in heaven of some kind, but a lot of people just don't believe in hell. But Jesus believed in hell, and he told stories, he told a story about a rich man who died and went to hell. And he said I am tormented in these flames it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Living God who would cast us into hell so I'm grateful to be saved from hell but not only what I'm saved by and what I'm saved from but what I'm saved For, I have been saved for the pleasure and, and love of God. He has saved me for Himself. And someday He says, I will come and take you to Myself, that where I am, there you will be also. So when we think about what we're saved by, what we're saved from, what we're saved for, then it ought to cause us to love him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then how, does a, how do we know if somebody loves God? You say, well, they go to church. Well, I assure you the devil goes to church every Sunday. He, he really, and there are a lot of folks that go to church every Sunday that don't love God. Say, well, how how do you know when somebody loves God? You can't see my love for God. And so Jesus said, that's why the second commandment is so important. Because the way you treat other people is the way you love God. Let's make it real. Real personal and practical here. Husbands are told to love their wife. Well, how, how, do, how am I to love my wife? They well, said, it's, it's like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's how, if somebody wants to know, do I love God, they need to come visit in my home. And they need to watch the way I treat my wife. Because the way I treat her is a reflection of my love for God. Just got one amen on that. <laughs> but it's the truth. And the way I treat other people, that's the way that's the way I demonstrate my love for God. Listen, the Apostle John said in 1 John, If a man says that he loves God, but he hates his brother, hates his neighbor, he, hates his, he, he doesn't treat people with respect, he's a liar. He's not telling the truth. Because he says, How can you love God, whom you have not seen, and not love the people that you do see. Now, this is, this is a real practical thing here. It's a real practical thing. So, when I, when I look about me, when I, we do the loads of love here in a couple of weeks, we'll be expressing to our community our love for God by loving them. That's the way we show love for God. It's a, it's a very practical thing. It's not just by coming to church and singing and, and, and listening to sermons and uh, and reading our Bible. All that's important. That's part of how we love God with all our mind and our affections. But if, if I say I love God, But I'm mistreating my wife. I'm yelling at her or I'm uh, I'm criticizing her or I'm uh, being mean to her. I don't love God. And if I say that I love God but I don't love other people, then I'm just doing religious talk it's the, it's the way I love people that demonstrates the reality of my love for God. That's the reason Jesus put these two commandments together because he knows, and we really know too, that if I say I love God but I mistreat other people, especially those that are the closest to me. And ladies, this goes both ways. I mean, so you love your husband. You demonstrate your love for for God by demonstrating your love for your husband because the Bible tells us that tells the wives to honor and respect their husbands the way the church honors and respects Christ. So it's, it's, it's very practical. So if I want to measure my love for God, I look at how I'm treating other people. And I start with that core, with the heart of my family, and then I move out and I say, if I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, that means that I've got to be loving people with that same kind of energy. You say, well, now, but it's easy to love God because He's so good to us. What about those people that aren't good to us? Well, the Bible says we're to love them even if they're enemies, even if they're opposed to us. As a matter of fact, it is love for our enemies, That will most likely have the greatest impact on helping them know that God is really real. I don't know how many, if any, of you have seen the movie Paul, the Apostle of Christ, yet. Let me see your hand. If you've seen Paul, Apostle of Christ, well, that's not many. You ought to go see that movie. I don't just, I don't promote movies a lot, but uh, but I'm glad to promote this one. If you haven't seen Paul, Apostle of Christ, you ought to go see it. Because it demonstrates in that movie, this is not a spoiler, you've already read this in the Bible, that it was the way Stephen died that had the greatest impact on the Apostle Paul. When Stephen was dying and Paul was the chief accuser, because in those days they laid their cloaks at the feet of the chief accuser, And the Bible says they laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul. And so as Saul watches, who became Paul, as Saul watches Stephen die, being stoned to death, the Bible says that he heard Stephen say, Father, forgive them. Do not lay this sin to their charge then he looked up and he said, Father, receive my spirit. And he died with love on his lips and faith in his heart. And the Apostle Paul was never able to get that picture out of his mind. Here is a man that I'm killing who is praying for me. He loves me. He couldn't see Stephen's love for God although Stephen did love God. But Paul could see Stephen's love for him. And thus he knew, eventually, that's the way you show your love for God. So love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, in fact, we go back to the, the text that we were reading. The next few verses... the scribe said to Jesus, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one, and there is no other like Him, no other beside Him, and to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He said it. In every religious system, there are religious things that people do to try to demonstrate their faith and their love for God. And in the Jewish system, they burn sacrifices. They would bring lambs and goats and bulls and and burn them on the altar. And among us today, there are things we do we give our money, and we uh, come to church, and we we do all kinds of religious things. But this scribe said, Jesus, you've, you've spoken true. I understand what you're saying. That to love God and to love other people is more important than all of the religious services that we practice. And Jesus, when Jesus saw that this scribe answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are very close to the kingdom of God. What did this man like? The only thing he liked, really, was to put his trust in Jesus. He said, You have understanding more than the Pharisees, more than the Sadducees. You understand you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one else dared... Ask any more questions. Now, here's the here's the danger of coming to church and listening to sermons. That we can just come to church, and listen to sermons. That's a that's kind of a danger in a way because it just becomes a, a routine or performance, of just something you do. The truth is, God is wanting to say to us today, you know what I want more from you than anything else? Is I want you to love me. I want you to really love me. And God can see our love. He can see whether it's real or not. But he says, I want other people to see that you love me. But how will they see that? There's only one way. And that's that you love them. That's the only way you demonstrate your love. Now, that doesn't mean that there are times that we don't get frustrated, irritated, and things like that. But it does mean that when the bottom line comes, that the people in our family, the people in our neighborhood, the people that we relate to in our work, they look at our lives And they may disagree with us. They may be atheists. They may be whatever. But they have to say, man, that Jeff Lavender, he cares about people. He loves people. And even if I'm mean to him, he's not mean back. He loves me. And so here here's the question if we if we say we have faith in God that faith changes our life now we don't and this is really important I'm, I'm, I'm finished some of you've been finished for a few minutes but I'm, I'm, I'm finished here just in a minute <coughs> we don't say Well, I'm going to start trying to love people, and then maybe I'll have faith. Now, love grows out of faith, not the other way around. So so here's the thing. You put your trust in God. You trust in Jesus. And when you do that, when you receive Him, when you truly have faith in God, that faith begins to grow and express itself but it doesn't express itself primarily as faith. It expresses itself primarily as love for other people. The Apostle Paul said circumcision or uncircumcision, none of that amounts to anything. Now, that's religious activity. That, that's not, but he said faith working through love. That's what really counts. So the call. Is to have faith. Put your trust in God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches or his own. So you have faith in God. But then how do I know my faith is real? I look at how I'm treating other people. I look at how I treat my wife. I look at how I treat my children. I look at how I treat my neighbors. I look at how I treat my enemies. And I can say, I know my faith is real because it is faith that works through love. Faith that works through love. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this very practical word. And Lord, I know that... uh, I know that our faith is not perfect, but our faith is in one who is perfect. And I know that our love is not perfect, but we know that you want to perfect that love in us and that perfect love will cast out fear and doubt and will overflow to other people. And Father, I pray for I pray for every husband here today. Lord, I pray that... Uh, knowing that, that we all profess our faith in you, we all say we love you, but we demonstrate that by the way we love our wife. And I pray for every wife here today who says, Lord, I, I honor you, but we demonstrate that honor by the way we honor our husbands. And then I pray that you will help each one of us to look at the way we treat other people and see that as a measure of our love for you. Help us to trust in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.